Hey, welcome to the Houghton Baptist Podcast for July 15th, 2018. Today, Don Curry will be sitting in for Pastor Dave, continuing the series in Genesis, and he'll be talking about our friend Joseph, the man with the coat of many colors. Stick around for that. Afterwards, check out our website. A lot of information there about the church, including Invite a Friend Sunday coming up on July 22nd. Stop on by. We'd love to have you. Come as you are. We do. I hope you enjoy the podcast and have a great day. What would I do without my wife? I would be lost. You have no idea how lost I would be. <laughs> Good morning. Oh. Well, the good news is I got through my five-hour heart stress test yesterday, and I didn't give away any military secrets. <laughs> so, let's pray. Dear Lord, as we come again to your word, we confess our need <clears throat> that you would reveal it to us by your Holy Spirit. Uh, meet us where we are, take us where you'd have us. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You know, it just amazes me how, without any input from what I'm speaking on, that the music team and the Holy Spirit always seems to come up with something that really speaks. Um, that grace greater than our sin. I love that. And I was looking at the words, marvelous grace of our loving Lord, grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. Yonder on Calvary's mount outpoured, there where the blood of the Lamb was spilt. Um, That just so underscores the story of Jesus. I'm sorry, of Joseph. Let me get on the right page here. When Joseph finally reveals himself to his brothers, which is where we're going to be today. Um, But good morning. Uh, Welcome, visitors. I'm Don Curry. If you don't know me, Pastor Dave, our senior pastor, will be back in the pulpit next week. We're looking forward to that. Uh, We have in recent weeks been uh, preaching through the foundational book of Genesis. Uh, more recently, we've been studying the foundational characters, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and uh, most recently, the fourth foundational character of Joseph. Um, the Christian life, of course, should ever be moving us toward conformity to Christ, um and <clears throat> give me a minute here. I've got to figure out how to get comfortable without knocking over coffee and Gatorade. 
How did Paul preach without coffee? I don't know. Um, as I said, uh, Joseph is a foundational character because he models what it looks like to be conformed to Christ. And so it follows that uh, a picture of a mature Christian is also going to be a picture of Christ. And you can study the story of Joseph looking at either focus and come up with uh, some wonderful truths. I'm primarily going to be focusing this morning on Joseph's as a picture of Christ himself. Um, And I don't have time to establish it in in, uh, the time we've got that Joseph is a God-intended picture. Uh, A lot of times you see things in God's Word and and you come up with a good application. Uh, But there's other pictures in the Bible that it makes clear elsewhere in the Bible that God intended this to be a picture. And, and in fact, that's the definition of a biblical type. Uh, Joseph is a type of Christ, and that's God's intention. That's not an idea that I came up with or read into it. Um, and so we're going to get to know Jesus better this morning by looking at the life of Joseph. Uh, the parallels between Joseph and Jesus are far too many to dismiss as coincidence. That doesn't mean that Joseph was was without sin. Uh, only Christ was, of course. Uh, and no no picture is ever as great as the reality that it illustrates, and and so is the case here. But I think you'd be hard pressed to argue that the Bible draws any particular light to to jo- any sins in Joseph's life. Um, that doesn't mean he wasn't, but as a p- picture of Christ, the Word doesn't certainly doesn't draw attention to it. Uh, this morning, I'm going to zero in particularly, there's so many, but I'm going to zero in on the parallel between how Joseph went about revealing, preparing his brothers and revealing himself to them, and how Christ prepares us for his revelation. You know, those of you that are saved, uh, you trusted Christ in a moment in time, but the path to get there didn't take a moment in time. It took Uh, days, weeks, for some of us, years or even decades to come to the point where Jesus could say, like Joseph did, I am Jesus, and it penetrates the walls of our heart. Um, So much of this story revolves around Genesis 45, uh, chapter 3, and in fact it culminates there. That's the verse where Joseph finally says, without an interpreter to his brothers, I am Joseph. Uh, So much of his life revolves around dreams. Now, Brother Brandon talked about how Joseph had a dream at the age of 17. And 
in that dream, everyone in his family bowed the knee to his preeminence and to his lordship. And because of that dream, they hated him and, in fact, sold him into slavery. And then last week, Brother Bill talked about the hardships that Joseph suffered, especially in prison and as a result of the lie and false accusation from Potiphar's wife. So, um, oh, I should mention one thing. Um, we're going to say it again. That Bill drew attention to is the Bible says God was with Joseph, and you see that repeatedly through this story. And uh, you're going to see it again this morning, whether he was in his valley of humiliation or his mountaintop of exaltation. God was definitely with Joseph. So today we're going to pick up the story at that point. It takes a dramatic turn. Pharaoh has two dreams. You're probably familiar with this. One of them, seven fat cows swallow up seven gaunt, ugly cows. And he wakes up, he goes back to sleep, he has another dream, and seven fat, ripe ears of grain are swallowed up by seven scorched, withered uh, ears of grain. And he wakes up and he's very perturbed. No one in the in the king's servants or... Um, uh, sorcerers could interpret the dream. And in Genesis 41, 12 to 32, Pharaoh's cupbearer remembered Joseph from prison because he had interpreted a dream for the cupbearer there, and it came true. And so he recommends him to Pharaoh as someone who could interpret dreams. So Pharaoh says, get that man up here right now. <laughs> He was very disturbed about it. When you have a dream from God, it doesn't evaporate before you get your slipper on, slippers on in the morning. It sticks to you like glue, and he was very frightened by it. So after a quick shave and a haircut, Joseph appears before Pharaoh. This was 13 years had passed since his brother sold him into slavery between that time and the time he finally stood before the Pharaoh. And he interprets his dreams. They both mean the same thing, and they were that there's going to be seven years of great abundance in Egypt, followed immediately by seven years of great famine. And Joseph, in a great display of the faith of his great-grandfather Abraham, suggest to Pharaoh that he appoint someone to oversee storing up the surplus grain during the years of abundance so that there would be food for the people during the seven years of famine. This took a lot of faith and courage um, because it, Pharaohs were known to be temperamental. If Joseph had been wrong, proved wrong at any point, he would have been instant toast. Um, and so Pharaoh, in an amazing turn in the story, says, well, no one has more wisdom than you. If you've interpreted these dreams, you're the man. 
And he puts him in charge of the whole country, second only to himself. Uh, this is so fantastic to go from zero to hero. <laughs> we usually hear that the other way around. He went from hero to zero when he got sold into slavery, and now we see him go from zero to hero in a moment in time. Uh, he goes from being a prison slave to essentially vice president in a single proclamation of the Pharaoh. Uh, I, I hope you see the parallel here. Uh, Christ went fantastically from the grave to the right hand of the throne of God in a moment in time. And like Joseph's sudden rise to power, that could have been explained only by the power in the hand of God. Um, just as an aside, I find this amusing. You know, this meant now that that Joseph was over Potiphar and Potiphar's wife, who was the reason he spent so many years in prison. But like the heart of Christ, we see no record in the Bible that there was any recrimination or retribution on the part of Joseph to either Potiphar or his wife. Uh, but I am very confident that when Potiphar's wife heard of Joseph's sudden rise to power, that she was probably scared silly, uh, at least until she found out that that was not the way Joseph's heart was. Um, well, true to Joseph's interpretation of the Pharaoh's dream, the next seven years were fantastic abundance and so much wheat was stored up that they finally quit measuring it. And then, again, true to his interpretation, the famine started right on the heels of the seven years of great abundance. Uh, Genesis 41, verses 56 and 57 says, The famine spread over all the face of the earth. So this was a worldwide famine. This was not just a local famine. And it goes on to say in 57, the people of all the earth came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph. The Pharaoh says, you want to buy grain? Go see Joseph. So everyone had to go to him. Joseph literally became the bread of life to the whole wide world. Does that sound familiar? Me and uh, Jesus is called the bread of life to the whole wide world. And he's this is a God-intended picture. Well, the plot thickens in Genesis 42, verse 2. Um, the famine is in Canaan as well. So Jacob sends uh, ten of his sons to go buy grain. Um, one, of course, believing the lie his sons had told him when they sold Egypt, sold Joseph into slavery in Egypt. He thought one of his sons was dead. And his next favorite son, Joseph's brother, uh, through Rachel, he was afraid to let him go. That was Benjamin. So he sends the other ten down to Egypt to buy grain. And so naturally they showed up in front of Joseph. Well, they didn't recognize him. Um, 
they weren't even, probably didn't even think he was alive. And he speaks to them through an interpreter. I mean, can you imagine being in Joseph's shoes at that point? Um, is this a time for revenge? You know, <laughs> what what goes around comes around. Uh, I know that would have crossed my mind. And he had the power to have them executed on the spot. Or is it time for reconciliation and reunion? No, it, it was neither, not at the moment. Joseph longed to be reunited with his brothers. But after what they had done to him, real reconciliation wasn't possible unless they had come, could come to grips with their sin and to realize that it was Joseph whom they had sinned against. Um, you know, Jesus longs to be reunited with all men, but he can't, uh, not until there's a repentance and a realization that it was your sin and my sin that put Jesus on the cross. It was our sin uh, that pierced his side. And we had to come to grips with that before we could be reconciled with Christ. And so it is with Joseph in the story. Uh, The brothers had no desire to know Joseph at that point. They came with the profession, we're righteous men. I can't help but think Joseph choked on his coffee at that pronouncement. Um, We're righteous men, take our money, fill our sacks with grain, and we are happy to depart from you as strangers. They had no desire to know him. Uh, You know, God in his grace fills our sacks and lets us go just like that. We have no desire to know God, but he loves us too much to let us continue doing that forever. Um, Joseph had to take his brothers through this process that would bring them to repentance. Um, as I said in 40, chapter 42, verse 11, their confession was, we are honest men. Obviously, we've got a little work to do here. <laughs> before we can get to a real reconciliation. But Joseph longed for the day when he could reveal himself, where he could say, I'm Joseph, but they just weren't ready. And uh, Jesus longs for that day. And maybe there's some of you here today whom he hasn't revealed himself to you yet of who he really is because you're not ready Well, we're going to look at the record of how God got them ready for that great day. Um, Turn, if you would, we're going to read a few verses. Chapter 42, and I'm going to read verses 6 through 11. Now, Joseph was ruler over the land. He was the one who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. When Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized him, but he disguised himself to them and spoke to them harshly. And he said to them, 
Where have you come from? And they said, From the land of Canaan, to buy food. But Joseph had recognized his brothers, although they did not recognize him. Joseph remembered the dreams which he had had about them, and he said to them, You're spies. You've come to look at the undefended parts of our land. They said to him, No, my lord, but your servants have come to buy food. We are all sons of one man. We are honest men. Your, sp- <clears throat> your servants are not spies. Well, here the dream begins to be fulfilled. In Joseph's dream, his brothers all bowed down to him. And we see that happening here. Uh, in verse 10, they even called him Lord. But the bowing was external uh, until they bowed the knee in reality and in their hearts. The dream was not going to be fulfilled. So Joseph begins this process under the guidance and inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I would add, to bring his brothers to that place. So preparation number one, spies. Uh, Joseph speaks harshly to them and accuses them of being spies. Why did he do that? Was he just jerking them around, having fun with them? You know, after what you did to me, I'm going to have some fun causing you some pain. No, you know, the context of the story doesn't support that. In fact, it's the opposite. When you look at the whole of this story, Joseph's heart was pure before God, and retribution was not in his heart. Remember at Dothan, when he was out looking for his brothers, Jacob had sent him to check on the welfare of his brothers, and they saw him coming, and they accused him of being a spy. You see, that, that lie, that, that um, accusation needed to be stirred up in their minds. They needed to remember that sin. And so that's where he starts at. So he accuses them of spies. And he asks them, who are you, where are you from? And he finds out that uh, they're all brothers except for one of them, Benjamin. And he says, well, I'm going to test your truthfulness. Go get Benjamin and bring him here. And he throws him in jail for three days. Back and get your get your brother interesting in 42 I'm going to read verses 21 and 22 they said to one another truly we are guilty concerning our brother because we saw the distress of his soul this is when he was in the pit and when he pleaded with us yet we would not listen therefore this distress has come upon us Reuben answered them, saying, Did I not tell you, do not sin against the boy, and you would not listen? Now comes the reckoning for his blood. Uh, Now their sin begins to come to mind and to their consciousness. Preparation 2, money in the sack. Skipping on down, chapter 42, verses 23 and 25. They did not know, however, that Joseph understood, for there was an interpreter between them. He turned away from them and wept. Uh, But when he returned to them, he spoke to them. He took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. 
Then Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain and to restore every man's money in his sack and to give them provisions for the journey. And thus it was done for him. Uh, here we see in verse 24 the heart of Joseph behind the stern face of the ruler. He wept because they weren't ready. He wanted to reveal himself to him. He so wanted to hug them, but they weren't ready. Um, they had not come to the realization that their sin was against Joseph. And, you know, Jesus weeps when we're not ready, when we haven't seen that it was our sin, not sin in general, not that person's sin, but my sin. Uh, and Jesus weeps when we haven't seen that. But while he wept, he worked, and so does God. He filled their sacks, but he returned their money, and they didn't know it at the time, of course. Uh, when God convicts us with the reality of our sin, at the same time, he confuses us with grace. You see, Joseph's a picture of Christ. He's the bread of life to the whole wide world. And grace is free. It can never be bought. And so Joseph couldn't, for this Joseph to be a picture of Christ, he could have never taken money for that grain. This is why the grain, the money was returned in the uh, sack full of grain. Well, on their way home, they stopped. One of them opened his sack to feed his donkey, and there's the money. And in Genesis 42:28, it says, Then he said to his brothers, My money has been returned. Behold, it is even in my sack. And their hearts sank, and they trembled. <clears throat> and I'm sorry. And they turned, trembling to one another, saying, What is this that God has done to us? It's interesting. Before, is there their memories that's been stirred up, and their conscience has been stirred up, and now it's God that's, they're coming to the realization it's God that's doing the, the stirring up and uh, bringing their past to light. Well, the preparation continues. Benjamin. So they, after they get back home, Jacob's terrified to find that this strange Egyptian ruler has mandated that they bring Benjamin back to free Simeon and to if they want to buy more grain. And in 4237 it says, Then Reuben spoke to his father, saying, You may put my two sons to death if I do not bring back to you, uh, bring Benjamin back, is what he's talking about. Uh, put him in my care, and I will return him to you. You see, what's going on here now, you know, Reuben was the oldest. Uh, he should have been a leader at the time this business was going on out in the field where they threw him in the pit and they're deciding what to do. Benjamin should have stood up and said, knock it off, pull him out of the hole, he's our brother, and we're not going to do anything to him. But he didn't have that courage. And now he's coming to grips with his failure to protect Joseph when they threw him in the pit. And so he offers the lives of his own son if Benjamin is not returned safely to Jacob. 
But in verse 38, Jacob says, no, I've lost Joseph. I've probably lost Simeon. And now I'm not going to let you lose Benjamin too. So it stayed like that until the grain ran out. (laughs) And eventually it did. And the brothers told Jacob, look, that strange ruler in Egypt said, don't come back without Benjamin. And now... Another unlikely party speaks up. Judah Judah says, look, if anything happens to Benjamin, I will forever bear the blame. So Jacob finally relents, and all the brothers leave to go to to Egypt to buy more grain. Uh, Judah has now pledged himself responsible for Benjamin. Do you see his conscience at work here? Uh, remember, it was Judah, uh, Judah's idea. Hey, I've got a better idea. Here come some Midianite traders. Let's sell him as a slave, and he'll go down to Egypt and be out of our hair forever. Um, I find it very interesting. Do you know that Judah and Judas are the same name? Judas that betrayed Jesus. Judah is the Hebrew version of the name. Judas is the Greek, but it's the same name. And it was the same treachery on the part of both Judases. So now we see Joseph's plan to bring his brothers to repentance take another step forward. Preparation number four, the banquet. Now things get even really crazier. Uh, So the brothers go back to Egypt to buy more grain, this time with Benjamin. Um, And in 43.16, it says, When Joseph saw them back with Benjamin, he immediately told his house steward, These guys are going to have lunch with me. Go go get a banquet ready. And so they're brought into Joseph's house. Now this really freaked them out because they knew that this thing about the money being in our sack, they're going to blame us or something, you know. Um, 43.18 reads, Now the men were afraid because they were brought into Joseph's house. And they said, It's because of the money that was returned in our sacks the first time that we're being brought in, that he may seek occasion <clears throat> against us and fall upon us and take us for slaves with our donkeys. Uh, they're really scared now, and they're confused. So they try to explain things to his house steward, and he confuses them even more because he says, Oh, be at ease. Don't be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has given you treasure in your sacks. I had your money. And then he brought Simeon out to them. Well, now their heads are really spinning. Where did that money come from? Um Again, we see Joseph's heart. As soon as he saw Benjamin, he had to hurry out and weep. But he washed his face, put on a a stern countenance, and came back. And the meal is served. Now, this is really interesting. It's served at three different tables. The Egyptians who hated shepherds are at one table. And then... The 11 brothers are at another table. And then Joseph is at a table by himself on the other side. 
And they were really astonished because they were seated in the order of their ages. How did the Egyptians know that? Um, so here they are, the, behind them are the Egyptians, in front of them, who is Joseph. Now, you know, Egypt is a picture of the world. So <clears throat> um, it also says, and the brothers are being fed with portions from Joseph's table. you got to think spiritually here. At this banquet, they're being served a foretaste of all the riches that Joseph had waiting for them after the reconciliation. And, you know, some of you may be in a place like that now. Uh, You haven't trusted Christ as Savior. He's doing all these things in your life. He's stirring up sin in your memory. But yet, you see all this grace happening in your life at the same time, and that's confusing you. And here you are, you're not dining at the table with Jesus, but you're so close, and he's feeding you with portions from his own table, and the the worldly Egyptians are behind you. You're in between the world and Jesus, and you're confused and Things need to be reconciled. Do you see the spiritual picture here? We've all been through this. So maybe you're in a place like that, and like the brothers, you're about to discover the final preparation, the silver cup. Well, after this strange banquet, their sacks are filled with grain. The money is secretly returned again. But this time, Joseph's silver cup is put into Benjamin's sack. Um, The silver cup was presumably used for divining, which was essentially like a form of witchcraft to determine the future. They would pour oil in a cup and presumably look at the little floating beads and come up with what the future was going to be. Did Joseph really use it for that? Is this a sin on the part of Joseph? Um, The answer is, I don't know. (laughs) Uh, It doesn't elaborate on that. I think it was just part of the story to freak them out. Um, This is the one thing that seems incongruous with Joseph as a picture of Christ. If somebody has some light on that, please share it with me. I would love to hear it. Um, but, you know, that a divining cup was normally used to foretell the future. Uh, in this case, it actually determined the future of these brothers. Uh, so after this strange banquet, they leave for home. And uh, as soon as they're gone, Joseph tells his steward, chase them down accuse him of stealing my silver cup and says this cup is going to be my slave. Well, you probably know this part of the story. Uh, they go, oh, no, we're innocent. We wouldn't do anything like that. And they search their sacks again in order of their ages, which freaked them out. I think maybe that might have been why they chose a divining cup is like, Oh, there's something really spooky going on here. How did they know we were, what our ages were? And of course, the silver cup is found in Benjamin's sack. Well, 
the brothers tear their clothes in grief. That was the last straw. They're utterly broken now. You know, while Joseph's steward was searching their sacks, God was searching their hearts. And God has done this, his work in their hearts, and they've come to the realization finally that their sin was against Joseph, that they are guilty, and that they have no defense. And remember, Simeon and Judah had pledged everything. We're going to get Benjamin back to you, Dad. And now it's Benjamin that's going to be a slave in Egypt forever. So they're totally flattened. The silver cup had done its work. Uh, the silver cup was the final preparation, and it always is. Uh, I, what's the application of that? I think it can be many things. Um, it's that silver cup that's the final preparation that God takes all of us through before we come to the realization that he is indeed the only way of salvation, um, and that it was my sin that put him on the cross. Maybe the silver cup for you might have been uh, when the police were knocking on your door with a warrant, or maybe you lost a loved one or had a great financial crisis or lost a job. Now, don't miss this part right here. The silver cup may have seemed like a really cruel trick on the part of Joseph, you know, to falsely accuse them and to plant it there. But without that silver cup, they would have never come to that last step of realizing their sin and their helplessness and their defenselessness before Joseph. It was what caused them to take that last step. And without it, they would have never been ready for Joseph's revelation of himself to them. Um, Spurgeon, the great English evangelist, said, I have learned to kiss the waves that throw me upon the rock of ages. And that joke didn't seem very funny at the time, but I think afterwards all of those brothers praised God for that silver cup in their lives and where it brought them. Um, you know, perhaps that silver cup in your life cost you something very dear, but without it you would have never come to know the Savior nor have obtained eternal life. You see, God knows all things possible. He knows all things actual. And God desires that none of us suffer needlessly. His compassion assures us of that. And so I hope that if you go home with anything, take this home with you. Whatever happened in your life that brought you to the feet of the Savior was absolutely necessary. It was absolutely, and nothing short of what happened would have brought you there. Um, Judah knew that the loss of Benjamin, I'm burning up time. Remember D. Coker at this point, he used to go, okay, we got to roll with this. Okay, we're we're on the downhill side of this, we really are. Um, Thank you, dear. I told her to do that.
No, I really did. Um, Judah knew that the loss of Benjamin would have devastated uh, his father. Um, and the final proof that they were ready for reconciliation was when Judah says before the, the steward, they're brought back and they're before Jude, uh, Joseph now and Judah pours out his heart and he says, take me, not my brother. I will be your slave forever. No longer does anything stand now to prevent Joseph from revealing himself to his brothers. Reconciliation is now possible. The dream of the sheaves has now come true. Uh, they're bowing the knee in calling him Lord in reality now. And so here we come to the climax of this story in Genesis 45, 1 through 5. I'm going to read, you can read that along with me if you would. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him, and he cried, Have everyone go out from me. Uh, he meant all the Egyptians. So there was no man with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. He wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it, and the household of Pharaoh heard of it. Verse 3, Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. Can you imagine this? Like, that's, that's our problem. Um, then Joseph said to his brothers, Please come closer to me. And they came closer. And he said, I am your brother Joseph. Pardon me. I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. Now do not be grieved or angry with yourselves, because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. Uh, Joseph's heart is so long for this moment, he can't restrain himself any longer. He sends the Egyptians out. He weeps so loudly that everyone could hear it. It has been 22 long years since the Verse 45, 4, I am your brother whom you sold into Egypt. You know, I don't believe that he was uh, trying to rub it in one more time. Uh, he could have said, I'm your brother that you picked on. I'm your brother that you hated. I'm your brother that you threw in the pit. He didn't. He just said, I'm your brother who you sold into Egypt. Why did he do that? Uh I think that if he had just said, I'm your brother Joseph, or uh, I'm Joseph, son of, da uh, son of Jacob, I think there might have all... Th this is so fantastic and unbelievable. This is real history, by the way. Don't get me wrong. This is not just a story. This is a story of real history. But I think they would have always had some doubts about it. This, this can't be our brother. But when he said, I'm your brother whom you sold, that was a secret password. You see, nobody in the universe knew that except Joseph and his brothers. Jacob didn't know. He was he had been believing a lie for twenty-two years that he was killed by a wild animal. And so when he said that, they had no doubts of who exactly who this was. 
And everything that I've said this morning is, is to prepare you from what I'm about to say. We run and hide from God because of our sin, and we do it because we fear His punishment or retribution. He's waiting to whack us with a big stick if we come to Him and confess our sin. But remember this, I keep saying Joseph is a God-intended picture of Jesus. Uh, As recently as Friday, this sermon was still at about two and a half hours. (laughs) And the reason I had all this stuff in there that I had to agonizingly delete out was I went through the whole story and detailed the parallels because I wanted to prove beyond any shadow of a doubt in your mind God intended Joseph to teach us about Jesus. So what Joseph did here in this circumstance with his brothers, they sinned a grave sin against him. He suffered greatly because of it. And now the confession is made. They're standing before him, not offering any plea for themselves. And I want you to see how Joseph responded, because when you come to Jesus, whether for the first time or whether you've been separated by sin, you've confessed Christ before, but you've gotten away, the way Joseph responded to his brothers is the way Jesus will respond to you when you come back to him. We have this record to promise and prove that to us. Um, and the first thing he says in 45.5 is not, you low-down sinners, come over here to the guillotine. He said, Now do not be grieved or angry with yourselves, because you sold me here, for God sent me. You sold me, but God sent me. How can you beat a guy like that? (laughs) Before you to preserve life. Joseph was saying, my forgiveness isn't an issue. You know, now that you've come to me, you've got to forgive yourselves. I think if I was one of the brothers, uh, the first thing I would have wanted to hear was, I forgive you. But that's because they didn't understand his heart. Uh, He'd forgiven them a long time ago. The forgiveness was not an issue. His sobbing, his hugs, his tears, his kisses, his gifts, the way it had been dealing with them, all said, I forgive you. Um, Joseph knew that the most difficult thing for the brothers was going to be to forgive themselves. And a lot of Christians struggle right here. Uh, They've been prepared to see the Lord for years. Uh, They've lived in sin. Finally, they stand and confess before the one they've sinned against. And in that glorious moment, God forgives everything, and he does when you come to him. But they can't forgive themselves. And... The message here in chapter 45 is that once you've seen the Lord and know your past is buried, it's done, it's gone, it's finished. And with the revelation of the Lord Jesus comes good news. That's why they call it the gospel. 
And that good news is forgive yourselves. I have already at the cross. Now forgive yourselves. So the first glorious word from him is, if I might put this in a New Testament context, there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Um, And the second word, and I just label this the path by which you came. In 45 verses 7 and 8, it says, God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on the earth and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. Now, therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God. Just as it was with the silver cup, as tragic as it might have been, it was absolutely necessary, and nothing else would have brought you to the feet of Christ. So it is with the entire path that brought you here. And I've got to say this carefully, because... You can never, ever lay sin at the feet of God. God does not sin. In fact, God cannot sin. But God in his sovereignty overrules even our sin and uses it as part of his master plan to bring us to the place where he can reveal himself to us and say, I am Jesus, and it registers here. So no matter how ugly your past, no matter how repulsive your sin, you can be at peace knowing it was necessary. All of it, nothing short of it, would have prepared you for the moment that you received the Savior. Uh, They needed to hear that. You sold me, but God sent me. Uh, You meant evil, but God meant good. And God turned the curse into a blessing. Uh, I was careful to point out how Joseph was a picture of Jesus, and here's why that's so important, is when you come to this point, do you think your sins are too great? Do you doubt that the Savior will receive you? Um, And I'm not only talking to those of you who have never come to the Savior before, I'm talking to believers who As I said a minute ago, you've become estranged from God because of sin. In either case, look at Joseph's response. He not only received his brothers, he couldn't wait to receive them. And Jesus longs, I know this, Jesus longs with a great longing for you to come to him or come back to him. And the path by which you came to the Lord was your your salvation. So, Praise God for that path, no matter what was in it. Um, God, knowing all things actual and all things possible, engineered your steps, and he took you by the only path that could have brought you to the moment where you trusted Christ. Um, Just one last point, and I'll close. I want to say something about the lordship of Jesus. Remember back in chapter 37, verse 8, uh, after hearing the, his, the dream that he shared with his brothers, uh, it says, Then his brother said to him, Are you actually going to reign over us? Or are you really going to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and his words. You see, they hated Joseph because they feared and hated his lordship. And they did that because they didn't know his heart. They thought his lordship meant a big stick. And I'm better than you. 
you're going to serve me, ha ha. That, but they've discovered now his heart couldn't be farther from that. Uh, and now they see his heart as it really is. And he, as soon as they were ready, he just pours out his heart in a torrent of love and forgiveness. And that's how, remember, he's a picture of Christ. That's how Jesus responds when we come to him. Whether it's the first time or as a prodigal returning home, his heart is the same toward us. And I've broken this down and divided it up for analysis, but that's not how it really happened. Uh, Once Joseph sent the Egyptians out of the room, it was really more like he turned on a fire hydrant. And this all rushing out. And I just want to give you a snapshot, because otherwise we'd be into a whole other sermon, of once he revealed himself, what what was in his heart. Um, He says in 45 verse 8, Therefore it was not you who sent me here, but God. In other words, forgive yourselves. And in 45.9, he says, hurry, go tell my father, tell him, uh, come down to me, don't delay, I want to be reunited. 45.10, you shall be near me. 45.11, I will provide for you. 45.14, he wept on Benjamin's neck. 45.15, he kissed all his brothers and wept on them. And then the best part, the foretaste, he told Pharaoh, Pharaoh was happy, and Pharaoh says, take wagons, load them up with all the best things, all the best riches of Egypt, and take them to your father. You see, what that pictures, thinking spiritually, when you came to Christ, and the confession, the sin was out of the way, the reconciliation has happened. If you look in the New Testament, what does it say about a foretaste? We're given a foretaste, aren't we? A foretaste of the riches that await us in Christ and in heaven, and that is the Holy Spirit. And that's what this wagon train of gifts was. Uh, Jacob wasn't probably was doubting you're ever going to see any of his sons again. And he looks over the horizon, and here comes this wagon train loaded with riches of all that awaited them in Egypt. And this is, I find particularly interesting, 45.22, it says, To each of the brothers, each of them, he gave changes of garments. Do you know what that means? It means now all of the brothers had a coat of many colors. This coat all got one. And I'm not just reading this into it. In the Hebrew, it actually doesn't say coat of many colors. It says coat of extremities. In other words, it was a long sleeve garment and it had a long hem and only the firstborn son or people of the privileged class wore them. Well, now because of Joseph, they are the creme de la creme in Egyptian society. Uh, They are the privileged above the privileged. And so all his brothers now had a coat of many colors. Um, And lastly, after the brothers went and got Joseph, it was so wonderful he couldn't believe it at first, but he finally, the Bible says he revived, 
and got on board. Um, and as wonderful as those riches were, uh, the most important thing to Joseph was, Jack, I'm sorry, Jacob was, I'm going to see him who I thought was dead. And, you know, God gives us a foretaste of heaven. Um, God gives us many riches and provisions. I know in spite of my own foolishness, God has provided for me wonderfully. But Jacob's focus was, I'm going to see him who I loved. And that's the focus of my heart to someday when I get to heaven to see Jesus. It says when we see him, we'll be made like him. And I'll close with 4629. It says, Joseph prepared his chariot and went up to Goshen to meet his father Israel. As soon as he appe- and as soon as he appeared before him, he fell on his neck and wept a long time. So you see from this marvelous story that just like the lordship of Joseph, the lordship of Jesus is not something to be feared of hate, feared or hated. Rather, it's love, forgiveness, reconciliation, provision, fellowship, provision. And a, I'm sorry, privilege and a foretaste of heaven in the person of the Holy Spirit. So let's, let's close in prayer. Lord, thank you for this wonderful look into the heart of Jesus, illustrated by Joseph. And thank you that you are ever longing to love, forgive, and bless when we come to you in repentance. And we just thank you, your Savior, who ever longs to reveal himself to us. In Jesus' matchless name, amen. Hey, thanks for listening to the Hope Baptist Podcast. We appreciate your support. If you're looking for a church or it's been a while since you've been to church, why don't you come and check out Houghton Baptist? We certainly love to have you. You can come as you are. We do. Also, if you're interested in giving, you can give by text. Just send a text to 906-346-1317 and follow the prompts from there. Again, thanks for listening to the podcast and have a great day. Thank you.